Amen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and if you're using the Bibles provided there by the church, it's on page 1008, Romans chapter 12. And keep your Bibles open because we're going to read through this text, much of it today, maybe the whole chapter. If you've been around the church, or you've been a Christian, you've been around the Bible much, you know that one of the metaphors of the Christian life is that of a walk. It's a description of how we live, our conduct. It's a description of our relationship with God and our relationship with Christ, how we walk with him and how we walk in him. There's many examples of this, but Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says it this way, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how did you receive him? By faith. So, by faith, walk in him. This is the idea, live in him, continue in him. Now, the word walk speaks of progression. When we think of walk, we think of progress, we think of steps, we think of movement, we think of going forward. This tells us that the Christian life is not a static life. It's not a life uh, that is uh, still without movement, but instead it reminds us that the Christian life is a ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-moving relationship with God. It also reminds us that we must take the necessary steps to both maintain that relationship, but actually to grow in that relationship. We come to Romans 12. It's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And in it, we see the call to the next steps in the Christian life. Today, we're going to look at three, what I would call general steps that every person, every Christian must take. Because these steps pertain to our hearts, our, our faith life, they pertain to all of us. Now, there are specific steps that pertain to individuals, such as someone feels the call to preach. That's a specific step. Someone senses the call to be a missionary. Someone senses the call to uh, serve as a, as a teacher in the church. There are some specific steps that individuals take that others don't take. But here's the truth. Those steps will never be taken unless people take the steps that we're going to talk about today. People fall short of the specific steps because they don't take the steps that we're going to see today. So my prayer has been this week and is this morning, before I came this morning, and even as I prepared, as I prayed this morning, and even now my prayer for each of us is that we will, one, identify our next step, and two, take it. Identify and take the steps necessary for our growth in the Christian life. Romans chapter 12 Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. If you would, we're going to just read two verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove... What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Let's pray together. Father, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes. 
that we may keep it to the end. Help us have the faith to take the next step. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to dive right into these steps. And I'm going to give them to you in the past tense and work our way through it. Uh, And we're just going to see that God has a place. And I want you to identify where you are, which step you've taken, and therefore which step you need to take. The first step is this. Step one is saved. Step one is saved or the step of salvation. Notice in this verse, he calls them brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. By the mercies of God. Paul is speaking of their spiritual salvation, their spiritual relationship to God and to Him. Now, if you read the book of Romans closely, theologians and Bible scholars and students of the Bible know that really Romans is broken down into two sections. The first 11 chapters is really the theological part of Romans. He spends a lot of time talking about. God and salvation and the, our need for salvation. And then when you get to chapter 12, which we just opened to, you find the practical application. The truth of it is this. When you learn something about God, what Paul, what this basically says is, what are you going to do with what you learn about God? Because there's always something to do when God teaches you something about himself or about yourself. So this is the practical section. But in that theological section that spiritual section if you will where he talks about salvation uh, if you've been around the church in recent years and we talk about evangelism you've probably heard of the roman road it's a pathway through the book of romans to help us understand what it means to be a christian why you need to be a christian and how you become a christian and the book of romans deals with in that section it deals with two main things one it deals with the reality of sin it deals with the reality of sin. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All people, every person, the only person who never sinned and fell short was Jesus. Everybody else has fallen short of the glory of God. We've not added up. We've not uh, measured up. We have sinned. And there's a definite consequence to that sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, the end result of sin. Sin is at work in me. Sin is at work in you. Sin is at work in this world around us. And its end result is death. But God's gift, something you can't work for, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So God gives us eternal life. It's a gift. And he does it, well, he does it because he loves us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says when basically when we were at our worst, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were at our worst, when we weren't going to uh, believe in God, when we didn't care about God, when I was blaspheming his name most of my young adult life, God had sent his son already to die for me and show his great love toward me. Christ died for us, but he also tells us, you and I now must respond to that love, and we must respond to that cross. That's why Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that means you pray and you make the good confession of faith, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, not you might be saved, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, there is nothing more that you and I need than righteousness and salvation. 
We have no righteousness of our own. We have no salvation of our own. The only way to get it is to believe and confess in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says later on in Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I just gave you the Roman road. Go share that with somebody this week. Go take somebody on a little walk down the Roman road this week and tell them of the reality of sin and the love of God and the death of Christ. But, the, but that book also teaches us about the mercy of God. Paul says here, by the mercies of God. See, God is a merciful God. And the reason we can take the step of salvation is the fact that God has had mercy upon us. He was patient, long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. Ephesians 2, Paul writes it this way, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. You ever think back? Now, sometimes I think back how merciful God was to me, how patient he was, how kind he was, how he just went with me. He protected me in my ignorance, in my unbelief, in my hard-heartedness, in my blasphemy. He was merciful. I was dead in trespasses and sins, but with his great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead, had no heart for God, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you remember becoming alive? I'm alive to God now. There was a time I was dead to God. There was a time I didn't care about God. There was a time I didn't care about the church. There was a time I didn't care about the Bible. But man, I'm alive to God because God made me alive because of his mercy. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. A lot of people think they're going to get to heaven by works of righteousness, which we have done. Listen, standing before God and giving an account of your life is not going to be the highlight for any of us after death. We're all going to be ashamed of some things. The highlight's going to be, thank God I'm with Jesus. Thank God I'm covered in the blood. That's the highlight. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He washed us. He cleansed us. He, by his mercy, let me ask you, have you taken the step of salvation? Not have you taken the step of coming to church and have you taken the step of going through a class or have you taken the step of baptism? Those are all good and fine. But have you taken the step of salvation where you repented of your sins personally and by faith you received Jesus and you by the mercy of God have been forgiven and saved and you know it and you live in the mercy of God. First step, are you saved? We got to move on because there's a second step. Step two, surrendered. Surrendered. He says there in verse one again, by the mercies of God, he's beseeching them. I'm urging you, he says, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Just as salvation is a definite experience in the life of a person. Some it'll be very, very dramatic. Some it won't be very dramatic, but there will come a time when a person comes to understand about Christ and about sin and they will believe. But there will also come a time, an experience in the Christian life, when it's sort of like we cross another line we take another step we move a little closer or we go further we go deeper and this step can mark you for eternity just like being saved did but now it's at another level it's going further with christ
If you've ever surrendered, you know it. If you're sitting here today and this thought has never crossed your mind, you don't know anything about surrender, let me tell you, then you haven't. Then you haven't. If you're looking at me like, you know, I'm speaking Japanese this morning, then you haven't surrendered. Because once you surrender, it marks something in your life. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means there came a time when you literally gave your life to God. Not just gave him your sins, but you gave him your life. Now, this doesn't mean when you surrender that you never have to revisit it. It doesn't mean you don't even have to surrender certain areas of your life. Once I, what, what I found out was once I surrendered, every time I turned around, God was saying, surrender that too. I was like, but, I, but I, last week I just gave you this. Now you want, to, yeah, I want the rest. I want the rest. And once you surrender, then God gets into those areas of your life that you've been holding out on him. Those areas of your life that you haven't presented to him. Those areas of your life that you're still in charge of. And by the way, those will be the ones that are the most messed up if you want to know what it is. He'll get down into all of that and you surrender. A different Christian groups at times call this different things, I think. Pentecostals oftentimes will call it the second blessing. They're talking about getting the Holy Spirit. I think what happens is God just gets more of them. Some people, certain groups, uh, brethren groups and holiness groups may call it consecration. Baptists used to call it rededication. People used to come forward in a Baptist church in a revival meeting sometimes, and maybe you've done it. You were saved, and you were walking with the Lord, and, but you kind of grew stale, and then you had a revival meeting, and God began to speak to you. Next thing you know, you was up front of church, maybe even with tears in your eyes, saying, I've, come to, I, I've got to rededicate my life to the Lord. Well, oftentimes it is. You just started surrendering. You kind of took back over, and then you had to come and lay that down before God. Oh, to God, some Christian people would surrender. We're ashamed of this kind of stuff in the church today. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. This is why we don't get God. Let me tell you something. When God comes, a bunch of people will get uncomfortable in church. And if you can always go to church and be comfortable, God isn't here. So I'm just going to tell you, I want you to leave mad or I want you to leave glad. I want you to leave upset. I want you to leave uncomfortable. But I don't want you to leave like a zombie. I want something to happen because God has showed up in this place when we gather. So, it's a surrender. I heard Adrian Rogers tell a story years ago when he was preaching over in Romania. And you know the story of Romania. They were under communist oppression and the church was persecuted and they, they overthrew a dictator and, and all this. The, the, and they were able to have freedom there and let the gospel be preached in that nation. But he was over there preaching and the pastor was talking to him about the difference between Romania, Romanian Christians and Christians in that part of the world and Christians in the West. Europe, America. And he said one of the differences he's noticed is that in America and in the West, we commit to things. In Romania, we surrender to someone. See, we commit to things, some things. But when I commit to it, I can quit. I cannot be committed. But when I've surrendered, I've given it to him. And there is a world of difference in committing and in surrendering. There's several words and phrases, Bible words and phrases that I want to make you aware of about this idea of surrender. 
And I'm just going to kind of read some scriptures and tell you what these mean. And you'll see them in your Bibles. This will help you when you're studying your Bible because these are really talking about the same thing. They just don't always use the same words. First, one of them is death to self. Death to self. Jesus said it this way. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. The cross was the instrument of death, the instrument of cruel death. Jesus took up his cross and died. They didn't force him to really. Jesus laid down his life. He talked about that. I lay down my life. You and I are to lay down our life to God. We're to die to self. Paul describes it over in Galatians 20, his own experience with that. Galatians 2.20, when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Can you say that? It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the crucified life. This is the surrendered life. Second phrase, second term is submission to God. Submission to God. These are all terms we don't like much. We don't hear much about them. You can listen to 100,000 sermons in America today and any Sunday and never hear any of this. Because this don't play well. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Submit to God. Submit to God. He's talking to people who are saved people. Submit to God. Now, sometimes that submission to God brings a difficulty. It's in the face of a difficulty. We don't mind being with God as long as everything's good, then things get hard. Wait a minute, I didn't sign up for the hard stuff. That's kind of like our attitude. Sometimes it's a bitter cup that we don't want to drink. Who taught us more about that than Jesus himself, remember? Matthew 26, 39, before he went to the cross, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was submitted to the Father's will. Jesus was submitted to the Father's will. He lived his life in submission to the Father's will. He was perfect, sinless Son of God, and yet he was submitted to what the Father wanted for him, what the Father sent him to do. And when he died, he could say, I have completed the work you gave me to do. Because he was submitted to the Father's will. Submission to God. Another phrase, Christ above all. Christ above all. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. See, a lot of us are trying to figure out our life. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus even gets a little more in depth with this. You go over into Luke chapter uh, 14, and I'm not going to put it on the screen, but Jesus talks about he who loves father and mother more than me. Here he says that. He goes on and says, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and his mother. What was he talking about? He says, listen, your love for me ought to be so strong that every other love in your life is like hatred in comparison. Sometimes, believe it or not, people will leave here and not come to church here anymore. And through the years, once in a while, it's got back to me that people said, Don's a hard preacher. Don's a hard preacher. Here's the deal. Here's, I'm going to tell you this. Listen, people that say that, one or two things. One, they've said unto some people who don't preach at all. Or two, 
they've never read their Bible. Because if you read this Bible, you're going to leave here on Sunday and think, man, Don went easy on us this week. Because <laughs> I was reading the Bible this week. I was reading that stuff Jesus said, Don went easy on us. See, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, listen, if you love your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy to be called by my name. Matter of fact, if you don't love me so much, your love for them is almost like hatred. You can't be my disciple. You can't follow me. Jesus said that. This is what surrender is. Now, three words that we're going to use to describe it right out of this text. We saw three biblical phrases. Look at these three words. First, it's the word willful. This surrender is willful. You notice there in verse 1, he says that you present. Present, that word present. You may have a translation that says offer. Uh, The word can be used give. It's also a word to mean to yield. We talked about yielding to the Holy Spirit in our Bible study class this morning. John MacArthur says this term was often used as a technical term for a priest offering, excuse me, a priest placing an offering on the altar. It therefore carried the general idea of surrendering or yielding up. See, when you and I surrender our lives to God, it is described as like the priest in the, in the Old Testament temple when he laid down that offering that paid for the sins of the people. It was a high and holy moment. And it's no less high and holy to God when you and I come and we say, Lord, here's my life. Take it. Now, just think about this offering this priest brought into the temple. When that priest took that offering, whatever it was, whatever time of year it was, but particularly on that day of atonement, he goes back there, he's in the Holy of Holies, and he lays that offering on the altar. So what did he do next? He took his hands off of it. And it was left for God to do what God would do with it. He's going to sacrifice it. He shed that blood. But his hands, once it's completely given to God, he, if it's a burnt offering, take your hands off of it, light the fire. You don't keep your hands on it. Think how much we give to God that we keep our hands on. Think how much we say belongs to God that we've got our hands all on. We say our life belongs to God and our hands are all on it. Our fingerprints are everywhere. If it was a crime scene, CSI would have our fingerprints everywhere. But we have to willfully give it to God, which means we have to willfully take our hands off of it. Last Sunday, I was on the way to church. I was listening to a guy talk about a story of how he surrendered something very important to him. Uh, This man was talking about he was in the Air Force, and he was on a skydive demonstration team in the Air Force. And in May of 2001, he completed his 400th skydive with the Air Force. He'd done other skydives in his own personal time, but 400 with the Air Force. And in June of 2001, he retired. In July of 2001, he got married. And he said, I have not been skydiving since May of 2001. Now he said, my wife did not tell me not to skydive. She didn't ask me not to skydive. But I just sensed that I needed to give that up. He said, I realized as I got married and was starting a new life that skydiving was, while I loved it, it was thrilling to me. I realized it was expensive. I realized it was time-consuming. I also realized it was risky. 
Now, it had always been risky, but it was just my risk. Now I had a spouse who I was one with, and it was her risk. So he said, I voluntarily gave skydiving up, and I have not been skydiving in 19 years now almost, 18 years. And he says, but then I realized there were unintended benefits, things I had because I was so consumed with this act of skydiving. When I gave up skydiving, I realized that through the years of all my, all my, my commitment to skydive, I had grown distant from my brother who needed me. My parents were getting older, and I, hadn't, I didn't have the time to go see them like I ought to because I spent a lot of money on skydiving. He said, but I also realized I sent a very powerful message to my new wife. Without saying it, I sent the message to her that I love you enough to give up something that would stress you and worry you and risk my life. And he gave it up voluntarily. And the unintended consequence was blessing. See, some of us won't surrender anything to God because we can't see the unintended blessing that God has for us if we'll do it. There's things out there that we don't know, that we don't see when we give them to God. All we can see is what we've got our hands on. When we give it to him and present it to him and offer it to him and let him have it, God can do more with it than you could ever imagine. We're missing out on the blessing of the Holy Spirit in our life because we won't surrender. There's a second word. It's the word complete. Complete. Your bodies. Present your bodies. The word bodies in the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this. The word bodies, mindful of the Old Testament sacrifices, represents the totality of one's life and activities of which his body is the vehicle of expression. In other words, everything you do, you do in your body. Every bit of time you invest or spend or waste or work, it's in your body. Every bit of energy from your body every effort every thought everything you do is in your body and when you willfully completely give your life to God everything in your body and attached to your body is given to God it's yielded to him it's all of it it belongs to him think about the old testament sacrificial offerings if you'll read those texts in Leviticus and I know they're very hard to read through if you take just a few minutes and read just one of those sections they're cutting up those animals And God had something for every part. He told them what to do with everything. All of it wasn't worthy of God. Has all of your life been worthy of God? But God finds a way to do something with all of it, doesn't he? When you offer it to him. So this is a picture of all of our lives given to God. And God takes it and he takes this whole and he makes it something. But we completely give it to God. We, we open the doors that we've got shut. We close off areas in our life to God. And when you surrender, God knocks on those doors that you've got closed off. Maybe it's a heart of bitterness that you want because you feel like this person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And God's going to knock on that door when you surrender. He's going to knock on that door. It's something that you've not been willing to let go of or some sinful habit that you can't break and, and all of this. And, and God's going to knock on that door. Why? Because God wants us to give it to him completely and that it may be holy and acceptable to him. A living sacrifice that's holy and pure and acceptable. And I want to tell you right here, right now, listen. The reason some of us can't get free from certain sins is not that we're not saved. It's that we're not surrendered. See, that sin still has a stronghold because we haven't surrendered. 
You can know you're saved and be under sin's control. How do I know that? Well, the Bible. Go back to Romans 6 very quickly. Look, just put your finger here. Mark your place there. Go back to Romans 6, verse number 12. Look at this. He's talking to the same people here. And notice the language. I want you to notice the language here in Romans 6. It's the exact same language that he's using almost exactly in Romans 12. Romans 6, 12. Look at this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. That's a command. Now look at this. And do not present. Same word. Present your members. Offer your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Don't offer yourself to that. But rather... Present, offer yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Why? Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. How do you get free of sin? You surrender. You surrender to God. You surrender to God. You've got some sin in your life. You offer all of that to God. You offer it to God and you keep going back until you get through, until you get victory, until you can walk. And you keep going back and you keep surrendering it to God. Don't let it rain in your body. Don't let it rain in your life. Present your life to God. Keep going back. Surrender. Let's go back to Romans 12 in the third word. So it's, it's willful, it's complete, and it's reasonable. Now this, what we're talking about this morning, seems like the most unreasonable thing you could imagine. This is America, man. You're talking about me giving everything I got to God all my life. This doesn't seem reasonable. I didn't come to church to hear all this. I thought I'd come and we'd hear about how good everything was going to be. And God would help me through my hard times. And he may even bless me financially. And I can go on to work and go on and play today and, and have a good time. This doesn't seem reasonable. But the Bible says it's reasonable for you to do this. It's not extraordinary. Listen, this isn't some, this isn't some martyr's call. This is forever Christian, and it's reasonable. How do I know it? Well, the Bible says it. Look at the verse 1 again, last part of verse 1. Two, uh, you present your body's living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It speaks of sincere, spiritual, genuine act of worship. Jesus laid down his life for us, and the Bible says he not only laid down his life for us, do you know that he gives his life to us. Jesus didn't just die for you. When you got saved, Jesus gave his life to you. He lives in you. And if he can give his life for you and to you, can we not give our life to him? And all through history, down through history, people have given their lives for nations. They've given their life for ideas causes some of the things people have been willing to give their whole life to are so ungodly and wicked and as a christian god calls you to give your life to the one who is the best who is the greatest you know over 240 years ago a group of brave patriots signed their names to a document that would change the course of human history the declaration of independence these 56 men publicly declared their commitment to the self-evident truths that formed the foundation of this nation. The final sentence of the Declaration of Independence is a promise among those signers, now listen to this, to mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. 
And you know what? Many of them did. Many of them and their fellow patriots sacrificed their lives, their fortunes, their names were ruined back in their homeland. Many of them suffered greatly. Even the ones that lived, many of them suffered greatly. It wasn't like they won a war and everything was easy. It was a battle to get this nation off the ground, and yet they committed themselves to it. And if they could commit themselves to one another and to a fledgling nation like they did, when are God's people going to surrender their life to him? I want to tell you this morning, most people who have their name on the roll of this church and every church in America are not surrendered. Most Christians have not taken the step of laying their life, their all, their fortune before God and said, here I am. Many of our people got up this morning not even knowing if they were going to go to church today. They didn't even know. Some of them knew they weren't because they already had something more important to do. Folks, listen. Our Sundays aren't even surrendered to God, much less our lives. I mean, it used to be, you know, Say, hey, Sunday's God's day. Now, if we get Sunday morning, we're doing good. This is where we are. We're not surrendered to God. And many Christians will never take the step of surrender. And I want to tell you this morning, many Christian people are stuck between the step of salvation and the step of surrender. But I want to tell you what that's like. I got a great illustration for you. You know what that's like? That's like the Israelites who wandered in that wilderness for 40 years. They came out of Egypt. They got deliverance. There was a promised land, but they wandered around for 40 years. You know what happened, don't you? A whole generation of them died off in the wilderness and never saw the promised land. There's a whole lot of Christians have died off in the wilderness between I got saved and I'm going to surrender and you know what happens in the midst, the, the distance between saved and surrendered? Well, I'm going to tell you something. It's a, it's a minefield. It's a minefield full of danger. Many Christians have blown themselves up walking through that minefield because they won't bow the knee to God and say, I will do what you want me to do. I will live as you want me to live. I will go where you want me to go. I will give up what you want me to give up. And I will take on what you have called me to take on. In the meantime, they live in sin and bad choices and get out of the will of God. They quench the Holy Spirit in their own life. They walk in the flesh. They do not have the anointing of God on their lives. And I'm going to tell you what happens. It's right here in the text. What happens when you don't surrender? It's very clear. When you live in between salvation and surrender, what happens is the first part of verse 2. So he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is reasonable service, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. See, what's going to happen if you don't surrender? You will be, not might be, not may be, not could be, you will be conformed to this world. There is a pressure on all of us in this world we live in. This world is trying to conform me, and I'm a pastor. 
This world is trying to conform every single person to fit into its mold, which is what that means. It's a picture of being poured into a mold. And if you do not surrender to God and you don't get up every day and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, I surrender to you, you will be conformed to this world. You will be brought into this world's mold. You have no other option. You're either going to surrender to God and be transformed or you are going to be conformed into the way this world lives. And so your priorities will be worldly, your affections will be worldly, your investments will be worldly, your thoughts will be worldly, you will live like the world, you will dress like the world, you will act like the world, you will decide like the world, and you will not be recognizable as one who is truly following Jesus. So surrender. The third step. The third step is sanctified. Sanctified. So you get to step two and uh, you surrender. God's, gonna, God's not finished because he wants you to surrender so he can do something in you. And he wants to surrender so he can continue to transform you. See, this explains why some people are saved and yet they're not transformed. They, they're just conformed. Well, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." This is sanctification. This is going further with God. This is God changing you and transforming you and making you like his son. Three little phrases here. Ongoing transformation. The word transform comes from the word, the Greek word metamorpho. We get our English word metamorphosis. It's an interesting word. When we think of metamorphosis, we think of a caterpillar and a butterfly. It's a transformation. This is an interesting word because it is a passive imperative. That means in Greek, we're commanded, but we can't do it ourselves. Passive means it happens to us. How do you have ongoing transformation? You got to surrender. You have to surrender. Just like we talked about today in, in Bible study lesson, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ralph brought up in the Greek, that means passive. You can't fill yourself. You can't transform yourself. You can be conformed to this world, but you can't transform yourself until you yield yourself to God, until you offer your body a living sacrifice. Then God begins to transform your mind. Surrender puts us in the position where God can change us. God can change the way we think. Have you ever come to a place where God really began to deal with your inner thought life and the way you feel? I can remember moments in my life when God brought me to my knees because I thought sinful, wicked things. Now, I'm not talking about just passing things. We all have bad thoughts. I'm talking about the way I thought about life was offensive to God. God, I offended God because I had an attitude about something that was diametrically opposed to God and his word. And so if you're going around and you have your, your attitude towards certain things in life are opposed to what God says, God's not going to be happy with that. He's going to keep knocking on that door until your minds are changed and you become like Christ. This is why he talks about the second thing, renewed minds. See, your mind can be changed by the world. But your mind can only be renewed by God. See, this is why we'll see people sometimes, they'll say things like, 
You know, I used to believe this, and, and I know people that are unsaved that have told me that one time they supported things like abortion, and they got looking at it, and they said, well, I, can't, I don't think that's right, so I changed my mind. I changed my position. They didn't, they didn't change their mind about that because they were saved. They changed their mind about that because they used a little sense. But that's not a renewed mind. A renewed mind is a mind that can go past our fleshly way of thinking and uh, our the way we perceive life and the way we allow our, the, the world to darken our minds and we open our minds to the truth of God and the renewing of our minds changes who we are and how we see life. We get an eternal perspective. We know that life's not all about what's happening this day or even tomorrow, but life is about what's going to happen when we've been there 10,000 years. That what I'm doing today is going to be important when I'm there 10,000 years. I have an eternal perspective. This is, listen, folks, this is not all about what I can get from God. I begin to realize it's what I can give to the Lord. I have a renewed mind. And the renewing of your mind will come mainly through the Word of God. It's going to come through the Word of God. God uses other instruments. He uses prayer. He uses Christian fellowship. He uses suffering. God uses suffering. We hate suffering. It's one of God's best tools in our life. It's one of God's greatest tools in his toolbox to carve on us and make us who he wants us to be. But he uses all that. But the main thing that's going to change your thinking is you open your Bible, you sit under your Bible, you let someone teach you, you, you read, you study, you meditate, you hide his word in your heart that you may not sin against God, and you let the word of God wash over your thought life. So I'm telling you, listen, there's times a phrase of two or three words in the Bible has gripped me so powerfully about sin in my life or areas I'm falling short. And you keep this closed long enough, you will not have a renewed mind. Ongoing transformation, renewed minds, finally, proven will. You are able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A sanctified person will live in the will of God. Not perfectly, but a sanctified person won't miss the will of God always. See, when I talk about the will of God, I know some of us are thinking, well, you know, that means I'm, I'm trying to figure out, should I take this job or that job? Well, sometimes you can miss that. You can pray and you can miss that. But what I'm talking about, there are some things that no Christian ought to confuse as the will of God. And it's amazing how many times some Christian people are, in, are way away from God's will on core issues. And the reason is, is because their minds haven't been renewed. And they're still being conformed to this present world. So what does a sanctified person look like? This person who proves the will of God. We're going to do a little Bible reading now. So you got your Bibles open? I told you don't put them away. Y'all thought because I've been going a long time you had to write put them away. That wasn't true. Verse 3, we're going to read some Bible. It's okay to read the Bible, isn't it? Amen. We're going to read that. I'm going to make a few comments as we go. I'm not going to preach a whole other sermon. I'm tempted to, but I will not. I'm going to tell you, there's two things we're going to see in the rest of this chapter. Because now, now he's told them, you know, be conformed. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. And now he's going to tell them a little bit of what a transformed life looks like. The rest of Romans 12 is what it looks like if you'll go out here and your life is sanctified because you surrendered after you got saved. This is what it's going to look like. Now, when you read this, if you take it home and meditate on it, you're going, you're going to say, Good night. Some of this stuff is hard. And now you're reading your Bible. 
And now you realize I got to surrender so God can transform me because I can't live this. So here's the deal. I'll give you two categories. The first one is this. Sanctified people will serve God in their giftedness. Verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Don't be prideful. That's the essence of verse 3. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives a liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who sows, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Sanctified people find what God is doing, has done in their life, and they get busy with God's work. We, we have so many people. Listen, the church has the highest unemployment rate in the history of the world. We always worry about America. What's the unemployment rate? The church ought to ask, what's the unemployment rate? How many people aren't serving Jesus? And listen, God gave you good gifts that he gave to men, gifts that will build up his kingdom. And I thank you for everybody here. I'm thankful everybody here who serves. But I want to tell you, God's gifted you more than just, you know, uh, taking the offering. There's other things God wants you to do. Greeting people at the door. Thank God for you. I appreciate it. But God's got something deeper than that for you. The church has a high unemployment rate that we need to correct. Sanctified people correct it. Secondly, sanctified people live like Christ in the world. Verse number nine. This is where I tell you, you've got to get surrendered. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't pretend. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. We talked about this just recently. Other people are more important than I am. Not lagging in diligence. Being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Don't drag around spiritually. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Open your life, your heart, your home. Bless those who persecute. You bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Get involved with those as they go through life. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Comes back to pride again. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. I don't care if you want to get back at him. Don't. He says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let God take care of it. That's what he says, let God take care of it. Verse 20, therefore if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. We've been talking about loving our neighbors and loving our brothers. We didn't even talk about loving our enemies. That's what the Bible says here, love your enemies. That's why I told you, you've got to surrender. Verse 21. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know why? Because evil is trying to overcome you. You remember way back in Genesis when God came to Cain and said, Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. Evil is crouching at your door. It's walking around like a roaring lion seeking him he may devour. And the only way you'll overcome is to surrender so God can sanctify you. He can keep you close. Folks, without surrender, we're just playing church. This morning, if God's spoken to you, I want to tell you this morning, if you don't take the second step of surrender, you cannot take the last step of sanctification. But if you do take that step of surrender, God is going to work to sanctify you. So what is it you have to surrender? For some of us, it's comfort. I mean, let's just be honest. We've been getting by without surrender for a long time. We come to church, hear a sermon, go about our business, call ourselves Christians. We know we had a a salvation experience, but then we've been getting by without really going further with God for a long, long time. Nobody in the church is not going to tell you or going to tell you not to do that except me this morning. I'm going to tell you if that's where you are and you know it, stop doing that. Surrender your life to God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice because that's what the scripture says. Our churches are dying for Christians to surrender. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to come. Some of you are here and God's working in your life and you've been growing. You know what God's doing? He's sanctifying you. Give him praise and draw near to God. And there may be someone here today who's never taken the step of salvation. You've never really taken that step. You've been around church. You believe people need to be saved. You've heard things about being saved, but you've never really been saved. There's never been a time when you repented. You said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Today, if you need to be saved, Jesus died. God loves you, and by the mercy of God and nothing else, he'll save you.